at the next part of Deuteronomy chapter 18 in a moment. But first, I have a few little things as usual just to, to, to preface our comments. And, uh, there was a recent interview in Christianity Today and Rick Warren said, we need to mobilize a billion Catholics and Orthodox. I'm not really interested in interfaith dialogue. I'm interested in interfaith projects. Let's do something together. You are probably not going to change your doctrinal distinctives, and I'm probably not going to change my doctrinal distinctives. We have different beliefs. But the fact is, we do serve the same Lord. Let's work on the things we can agree on. And that was from Christianity Today in October the 1st. But you know, that's not right. The Apostle Paul said that those who pervert the gospel of the grace of Christ are cursed of God. And if you want to read Galatians 1 verses 6 to 9, it speaks of another gospel. And they are anathema to the truth. Obviously then, those who preach the true gospel and those who preach a false one do not serve the same Lord. Christ told the Jewish leaders who denied uh, his doctrine of grace that their father was the devil. As I said before, beware of Rick Warren. He is the blind leading the blind. And as someone has said, he's building the devil's harlot rather than the bride of Christ. The prophet Amos wisely said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3 3. But Warren says, who cares if they agree or disagree? Let's just walk together. Mm. And that's, that's exactly what uh, we have been just chatting here together before the, the service. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. On a different note, uh, just in relation to the Jewish nation, and we'll be talking about the Jewish nation in a few moments in Deuteronomy, at an international exhibition of the Quran at the Iman Khomeini, Khomeini Grand Mosque in Tehran, last month a coffin was on display representing the state of Israel. We know, of course, that Israel is living in rebellion to our God today, but she is still the seed of Abraham. Let's never forget that. To whom God said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. Genesis 12, verse 3. And that was way back at the start of the state of Israel with Abraham. Israel will not be destroyed because of God's covenants with her are certain. But she will go through the time of Jacob's trouble to bring her to repentance. When Israel repents and her Messiah returns, her enemies will be destroyed. I'm going to read Zechariah chapter 12, verses 6 to 9. And then Paul in Romans 11 explains this. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. 
that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Romans 11, 25-27 And despite the fact that uh, in, in Iran uh, they will have uh, a coffin representing uh, the state of Israel they will come to their senses someday when God comes in in judgment against them right let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 I'm going to read from verse 9 When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. Then we have this <coughs> prophecy of the prophet like Moses. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him, ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And then we have another passage here, just about false prophets. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if they say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the 
prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. There's an amazing passage this in this uh, chapter 18. We come to some extremely, extremely serious instructions. You know, all these evil things which they were being warned against. We're becoming, as we look around the world today, so aware that spiritual warfare, which is raging in today's world, and will become more pronounced, we believe, as the world prepares for the coming of the Antichrist. You know, there are still people, I suppose, Christians, who doubt that we are in the end times. And if we doubt it, after all the turmoil of these last days and the money markets of the world, and the resultant attempts to rectify them, we wonder how people can, cannot but realize that we are living in serious times and we believe in the end times. Even this week we again have had appeals for a global solution and a global supervising authority for the finance of the world. What could be clearer in explaining the prophecies contained in the book of Revelation? The one world church and the one world government are nearly upon us. And we see, therefore, within the world a different form of attack on Christians and upon the Word of God. We have all this thing about evolution. Uh, it's been outlawed completely, uh, the, 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 the thought of creation. And evolution has to take prominence in schools and colleges. And I thought I'd read a little bit about what Dave Hunt has written in his October newsletter. He says, Paul explains that evil exists in the world because God has revealed himself to all mankind and they not only have refused to honour him, but they have turned against the creator that every thinking person knows exists. Uh, and in Romans 1 and 18 to 23, you, you read that, and he says, and they actually hate him. Here is Paul's inspired description of today's world of Christ rejectors. Romans 1:28 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. Note that, haters of God. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, 
that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. He goes on, the key phrase, haters of God, is prophetic of our day. It is particularly manifest in the new wave of aggressive atheism led by the four horsemen of the new atheists. They are Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris. These four are leading a new and growing movement that declares that belief in God is not only beyond credulity but wicked and must be stamped out for the good of mankind. Our day is witnessing a new phenomenon unheard of in the past. Books by atheists are selling by the millions. This includes not only those by authors openly declaring themselves to be God-haters, but by many who hide atheism in intriguing fiction such as the Golden Compass or the Harry Potter series, although J.K. Rowling professes to be a Christian. And even stories supposedly based on fact, but that are full of clever lies, such as the Da Vinci Code, The Secret, and others. He goes on, what are Christians to do? Isaiah speaks of these days and what the Holy Spirit will do, in which scenario we must surely play an important part. If ever there was a day when the enemy has come in like a flood, it is now. Isaiah foretells that when that happens, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 59, 19 The, law, the word him can only refer to a personal being, and that must be Satan. And that's a comment from his newsletter. And for his part, Dave Hunt proposes a new book to challenge these men. But all this evil is in the world. And you know, it was there at the time of Moses. All of those evils mentioned in chapter 18 are of the devil. Of the darkness of that evil kingdom and they are still in evidence against the children of light today now I don't want to dwell too much on these various practices except to say that they were all extremely evil and abominable in the sight of God people think because uh, well, we have the New Testament, God will change. He doesn't treat these things the same in the New Testament. God's character never changes. We have said that in the last few weeks. If these things were an abomination to him, in Deuteronomy, they're an, an abomination to him today. And they're still around today. And they're still being practiced. And they're still accepted by many people and sadly some by many Christians do you read your horoscope in the daily papers 
or in Hello magazine or some of these uh, weekly journals. And I can hear you say, come off and I hear you say, no one believes them. Well, if no one believes them, why do these hard-headed businessmen, the Murdochs and the others in the, the, the publishing world, why do they include them in their papers and magazines? Why do people go to fortune tellers and the like? Why was Harry Potter so popular? Why was he accepted by people? I don't know. But it's all about wizards, witches, and champions. Because we have lowered our standards in the Christian world. You go abroad to places such as India and you see how much uh, the fortune tellers and the horoscopes and all that kind of thing play in the lives of those people who are blinded by Hinduism and other false religions. Why? Why, if it's all a load of rubbish and just a bit of fun, why does God command us not to have anything to do with them? Why would God tell us to stay away if there was nothing evil in these things? For charmers. We've all come across people who charm things. Enchanters. You know, I knew one chap and he could charm simple things like warts off your hands and things. And there are others who can charm, give you a charm, a spell that will heal you of things like uh, shingles. And they work. They work. And people are taken in and drawn in to that evil world. The dark world. What about necromancers? Those who seek favours and the like from the dead for the living. That's what it is. Seeking favours from the dead for those who are alive. Trying to raise up the dead. But Isaiah says in 8.19 And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead. Praying to the dead for the living. Now does that not have a ring of familiarity about it? Praying to Mary and to the saints, to the dead, for favours for the living. Yes, there's a lot of evil in the world today. We have ecumenism, joining with Roman Catholics and all these things and in other religions when we are warned in Scripture not to have anything to do with them. It's no wonder that we have these apparitions of Mary and other manifestations around today leading people into darkness. And of course we have the leaders of the, the leader of the Anglican over there celebrating the, the appearances of these demonic expressions. These at Lourdes. 
Nobody says a word. And God says, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of these nations. No Bible-believing Christian, if you have studied and understand the doctrine of Scripture, can stay within a church that does, that accepts, or that condones such practices. God says in verse 12, For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And then it says, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Thou shalt be blameless. Thou shalt be sincere before the Lord your God. You shall be loyal to the Lord. You shall be upright in heart. That's the meaning of the verse. And these nations were to be driven out. Why? Verse 14. These nations which thou shalt possess, they hearkened unto the observers of times and unto diviners. That's how they live their lives. That's how many people live their lives today. Reading their horoscopes, going to fortune tellers, having their palms read. Or you go along to a fun fair, bit of fun, have your hand read. I told you when we were up in Welshpool, the, the Methodist Church had, had a, 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 a clairvoyance advertised on their on their notices outside the church to tell you your future, it said. But as for thee, it says, in, chapter, in verse 14, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. And sadly, we know that the Israelites did not drive out those people, but instead of that, they copied them. And they themselves were judged by God. They would not listen to God. They listened to this dark side of things. But they wouldn't listen to the God of light. And then we turn to verse 15 onwards. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee and of thy brethren like unto me. Him, unto him ye shall hearken. Oh yes, at Horeb, you remember when uh, the, what took place at Horeb? The, the thunder, the lightning, the, the flashing, the noise, and the people said, we don't want to hear anymore. Here's Moses saying there will come a time when God will raise up a prophet like unto me, and him ye shall listen to, him ye shall hear. And that obviously refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we look at Psalm uh, at, at Acts, Acts chapter three, we, we see that this Peter, when he was speaking at the beginning of Acts, uh, 
referred directly to this as the Lord Jesus Christ. For Moses truly said, Acts 3, 22. Acts uh, 3, 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Just as Moses had said, it referred to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, First John, the first chapter of John's Gospel is a very interesting chapter. We've been thinking about it a bit lately. And it's, it's a wonderful chapter, really. When John went out to preach, and he was challenged as to who he was. And it says in First John 19, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Who are you? What are you doing out here? Who are you? You see, there was an expectancy in the Jews at that time that there was going to be a Messiah, that he was coming. There was an expectancy. And they were, there were religious Jews who were waiting and wondering. And when John arrived, they sent out some uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem out onto Jordan where he was baptizing and asked him and what did they ask him? and they asked him what then art thou? art then? what then? art thou Elijah? and he said no I'm not and then he asked that question art thou that prophet? what do they mean? they meant that prophet that Moses had said would come. That's what they were referring to. That's who they were. Moses had said the prophet would come. They were expecting a prophet. And then they said, are you that prophet? They didn't have to explain. Because everybody was expecting that prophet to come. And he answered no. Jewish anticipation was that that prophet was Jew. John was there as the forerunner, the harbinger of the Lord Jesus Christ. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and being found in fashion as a man, he took upon himself flesh and blood so that he could taste death for every man. He came to speak to man. Oh, they wouldn't listen at Horeb. They didn't want to hear any more. But now that prophet had come. Prophet like unto Moses. What does it say? We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He became man. So that he could speak to man. And God has spoken 
through that prophet, his beloved son. That's what that was all about in Deuteronomy 18. God has spoken. He has come as the mouthpiece of God. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He came unto his brethren. Now that's the sad thing about John chapter 1. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power, the right to become the sons of God. If they listen to him, if they listen to him. First John 12, as many received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believed in his name, they had to listen to what he was saying. And Moses continued in verse 19 of chapter 18 in Deuteronomy. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. God speaking to Moses. If those people, when that prophet comes, don't listen to him, I will require it of him. What did Jesus say to the people when he came? He said, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was the message Jesus was preaching. To believe, for people to believe on him. For God sent not his Son, that prophet, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reported. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Isn't that interesting? God's message through his Son was that man could have light as they walked through darkness. The people in Moses' time were warned against the darkness. But they continued in that darkness. They sinned against God. They, they allowed their children to be offered to Molech. They, they, they believed in, in uh, sacrificing their children to false gods. They listened to the diviners. They listened to the false prophets. They were living in darkness. They had the opportunity to walk in the light. Jesus, that prophet, came. He came to give light. The light shineth in darkness. He came to give light to people. He was not, John said, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. What was the light? The prophet, he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light 
that was the true light. The prophet who came, came to give light to men who were living in darkness. Isn't that what Simeon said? Uh, when Jesus was presented in the temple, a light to lighten the darkness. If they listen to him, if they listen to him, and that's the same today. People don't want to listen. And the last few verses of that chapter 18, go back to Deuteronomy. Having told them that this future prophet would come and that he would speak in the name of God, and we know that he was the Son of God, and he came and took upon the form of man so that he could speak with man. But if they didn't listen, Moses said, I will require it of him. And then the last few verses of that chapter goes back to warn the people again that false prophets will arise. And we know, we have been speaking about these haters of God. We have false prophets who have crept in to the church. We have the Copelands, the Hins, the Wimbers, the Rick Joiners and many others. And God says they have spoken presumptuously. If they're in the Old Testament time, they'd be dead by now. People would have stoned them. But they should be thankful that they are living in the age of grace. But we are warned against them. We're not wanting to dwell on these people. To get enough publicity. But we should steer clear of them. Instead, let us dwell on the words of the Lord Jesus. The one who came, that prophet who came. At Mount Horeb, God spoke through fire and thunder. But Jesus speaks to us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Oh yes, the people were told in uh, chapter 18 of Deuteronomy in verse 9, it says, Do not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. Do not learn. So what do we do? We hear the voice of Jesus. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Oh yes, God, the idea that God had in mind was this promised land where they would enter into rest. God wants you and me to find rest for our souls. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Oh, we listen to these false prophets. We see them speaking on, on, on programs and things. Very few of them seem to have a meek and lowly spirit. But God says, through Jesus, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I hear thy welcome voice that calls me Lord to thee, for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary. Though coming weak and vile, thou dost my strength assure, thou dost my vileness fully cleanse, till spotless all and pure. Tis Jesus calls me on to perfect faith and love, to perfect hope and peace and trust, for earth and heaven above. Tis Jesus who confirms the blessed work within, by adding grace to welcomed grace, where reigned the power of sin. And he the witness gives to loyal hearts and free, that every promise is fulfilled if faith but brings the plea. All hail atoning blood, all hail redeeming grace, all hail the gift of Christ our Lord, our strength and righteousness. May we hear that welcome voice. And another little hymn that sums it all up. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while I wait on thee. Hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. Speak, O blessed Master, in this quiet hour. Let me see thy face, Lord. Feel thy touch of power. For the words thou speakest, they are life indeed. Living bread from heaven, now my spirit feed. All to thee is yielded, I am not my own. Blissful, glad surrender, I am thine alone. Fill me with the knowledge of thy glorious will. All thine own good pleasure in my life fulfill like a watered garden, full of fragrance rare, lingering in thy presence, let my life appear. <laughs>